this episode of the Papa Fetige podcast, we'll be discussing our experience as parents with kids in an immersion language school. Hey everyone, this is Dave from the Papa Fatigue podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. Today, Jim and I will be sharing our experiences around bilingualism and immersion language education. But before we get started, here's a little bit about us. I'm a father of two. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Yeah, I'm Jim, and I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and they're about two and a half years apart, and and, um, and we don't speak a second language at home. <laughs> That's a nice way to preface this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, let, look, let's kick this thing off with a few benefits of bilingualism, just to kind of get some baseline information here. And there are a ton of benefits. You know, we just pulled out a couple that we thought were interesting. Um, the first one here is going to be that Bilingual people show a greater ability to switch between different tasks, so they can more easily shift their mental state from one task to another without having any confusion or complication. And based on sort of our reading of the research, it, it seems that that's a function of the fact that when a bilingual person is speaking in one language, the other language is actually still active, and they're constantly making the switch off between what is the right word to use to express what I'm thinking based on the context, based on who I'm speaking to, based on all of these different external inputs. And that seems to reinforce this ability to switch off between a number of different things. The other one that was kind of interesting was that bilingual people perform better on tasks that require conflict management. So we're not talking about fights or anything like that, but there is a, uh, apparently a test called the Stroop Task. And in this task, the person is shown a card that has a word and they're asked to name the color. And the conflict arises from, so in some instances, right, you'll have the word that it says red, and it, the font is in red. And the conflict here is if the word says red, but the font is in blue. And so that's the conflict, and they're able to, bilingual people are able to perform better on this task. And, and these types of cognitive benefits, they all lead to structural changes in the brain, right? So, okay, that's fine and dandy, but, but how does that really affect the day-to-day life, right? And, and what we're all as parents really concerned about. So there was a study that was done by RAND and the American Councils on education, International Education. And what they found was that students who were randomly assigned to immersion programs outperformed their peers in English reading by about seven months by the time they were in fifth grade and nine months by the time they hit eighth grade. So what you're seeing in these bilingual kids is not only are they acquiring a second language, but they're gaining a greater mastery of English, the native language in this case, uh, at the same time. So I think some really powerful, interesting information there. And these benefits are seen across every student demographic. So whether they were affluent or low income, whether they were native speakers to the target language or whether they were native English speakers, they all showed that same level of mastery of English reading relative to their peers. And the benefits of bilingualism are um, seen quite early on. So there's research that has shown that bilingualism can positively influence attention and conflict management in infants as young as seven months, right? So you're really at an early stage, you're able to see the benefits, but the benefits are sort of transmitted throughout life. So as we get older uh, and we become adults, Bilingual adults are able to learn a third language better than monolingual adults who learn a second language. And then at the far end of the spectrum here, bilingualism also appears to have an impact on delaying the decline of cognitive function. So in a study of Alzheimer's patients, they, they looked at bilingual Alzheimer's patients versus monolingual Alzheimer's patients. And for the bilingual Alzheimer's patients, they showed an initial 
symptoms, onset of symptoms at 77.7 years old versus monolingual people, monolingual Alzheimer's patients who showed initial symptoms at 72.6 years of age. So a five-year difference, which is pretty significant. So, you know, with all that being said, let's talk a little bit about our experience as it relates to bilingualism. And, you know, Jim, we had talked about this. I think you have an interesting path. You guys started with American Sign Language. And while probably technically that's not a second language, it feels like based on all the research that we looked at, the the, the uh, benefits of bilingualism probably accumulate in the same way when you're learning ASL as if you're taking on a second language. So why don't you talk a little bit about your experience with ASL? Yeah, you're right in that it's not a full second language. I don't think it's bilingualism, but it is a second way of expressing. And we had I know a lot of parents have this sort of baby sign language, the more, eat, you know, bedtime, whatever it is. And we actually took a class. My wife and I took a class, and it was um, we learned American Sign Language. And so our daughter, I was trying to remember at what age, but at a very young age, she was expressing herself in full sentences, complex sentences, and was expressing abstract ideas. And whether or not there were some benefits, some benefits to us as parents in that she could express herself, uh, she could express what her needs were. She was able to have some agency in her life, and she wasn't just helpless. And I think it eliminated a lot of screaming and a lot of yelling. And it was also helpful as parents to be able to communicate with our kids in a way that was more uh, more than just uh, fundamentally baby talk. I mean, we never did the soft, cutesy stuff, but just simple sentences and things like that. And my impression was that that experience laid a sort of neural network for her that helped her develop language, helped her uh, speak very quickly. And when she did start to speak, it was in full sentences and it was very expressive. And whether or not that was, you know, whether or not that benefit, the, the sign language continued, I do think it set up, a, it teed it up for a second language in the, the immersion program. I think it made it easier for her to remember. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when we were talking uh, before and in, in sort of preparing for the podcast, you had kind of a funny story. I think it was a friend of yours who taught uh, their children, uh, their infant ASL, and there was like a nanny that came over yeah. and was sort of surprised about the level of um, mastery. Why don't you talk a little about that story? I thought that was a fun story. Yeah, so it, it was uh, the parents had left the kid while they went to a wedding. And they came back, and I think it was an aunt or a family caregiver, and she was a pediatric nurse. And she was blown away that this little kid could tell her when she needed a diaper change and when <laughs> she was ready to go to bed. Yeah. And I don't remember at what age, but it was clearly pre-language. And that that experience was very encouraging to us and that that was a way to see that the kid could say what they needed and get what they needed from the people around her, I think, was really powerful. Yeah, I mean, it would be so cool if my kid could be like, it's time to change my diaper. Yeah, totally. That would be awesome because that was always, you know, especially when you're like on trips or whatever where you can't check on them all the time. You're like in a car mm-hmm. and you're driving somewhere and you're like, man, we got to check that diaper. Like you got to pull over to the side of the road and check right. the diaper and make sure he's not sitting in something. And yeah, if the, if the, if the child is able to really express that, I think what a what a gift uh, as a yeah. parent. So um, yeah, I love that. And we got a little lazier with the second. It was pretty much just the, the fundamentals. But I really enjoyed learning and I really enjoyed learning the American Sign Language. And one of the things that we'll talk about with the immersion program is that there are ways of expressing things in other language that you can't express in English. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it earlier, this idea, I think of it as a sort of triangulating on an idea or a concept. If if I only have one word to express what what I want to say, or one way of expressing what I want to say, that's very limiting. And if there's two ways that I can get to that same idea, I think it's a, it's a more, 
fundamental and a deeper way of understanding concepts that language are meant to express rather than the other way around where our language expresses uh, uh, our emotion. We can, how am I saying this? Rather than having the language drive the expression, it's the expression that is then, uh, that is then put out through the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's an interesting point. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so for us, you know, we introduced our kids to language at an early age as well. And we have a little bit of a different situation. So I'm bilingual. My wife is, call it bilingual 0.5, like she has two and a half languages. But we actually don't, we only share English as a common language. So at home, we speak three different languages effectively. And when our oldest daughter was ready for daycare, we actually put her in, a, in, a, in an immersion program in a language that uh, neither one of us speak. So she's getting a language at school, and then she's got uh, three more languages at home. And then when our son was ready to go into daycare, the daycare actually had added a second language. So he's at school, he's getting two languages at school and three languages at home. And our kind of thinking, again, both having grown up bilingual, is let's just kind of throw as much as we can at them and... You know, let's see what sticks at this, you know, when at that age, they're sponges and they'll be able to absorb all sorts of stuff. And one of the other things that I had read was that if a child is exposed to a language early on, even if they stop that language for a number of years, if they come back to it, the acquisition is a little bit easier. Uh, And so two of those languages he no longer speaks. But I think one of the things that was kind of interesting throughout the process is that he was I think he was maybe a little bit slower to talk. And, and there was a little bit of time there where I I think we were a little bit concerned and we were sort of talking to our pediatrician. And um, look, he's getting five languages, so that, that could very well be a part of it. Also, you know, he's a boy. It was our first boy. We weren't really sure. We've heard that, you know, boys develop a little bit slower. So there are a lot of inputs there. But I think also if you look at it sort of just if you break down the day, right? So a day in the life of this, at the time, two-year-old. So... He's got an hour with us in the morning as he gets ready, and there are maybe three languages going on there. Then he goes to daycare eight hours a day. He's getting two different languages, and then he comes back home for another you know, three hours, and he's getting three more languages, those same three languages he's getting in the morning. So there's sort of no um, baseline there. Right? They're, all, they're all happening at the same time. But what was interesting about that is while he may have been slower to speak, you could tell – you could speak to him in any one of these five languages, and he would understand. He mm-hmm. for sure – knew what was going on because you could ask him to do something and he could do it. So it was very interesting to see that, you know, he's get he understands fully all of them and then the language, you know, which one comes out. And and one thing I always did wonder about is again, if we break down that day, he spent an eight hours in just two languages. I really believe that for a while his native language was actually not a language that my wife or I spoke. Uh-huh. So yeah. in terms of communication, what is interesting about kids when they're that young too is that they know who to speak to in what language. So even if he knows what the word is in that language, he understands that I don't understand that language. And so he knows that, well, there's no point in talking to this guy. He doesn't get it. And that was very, very interesting to see early on their sort of ability to switch back and forth. But that was always one of my things is, is his native language not something that I understand? Can I, can I actually not communicate to my son or can he not communicate to me actually was, was more the issue because he understood a different or he could speak better in a different language. 
So that was really interesting. Now, as our children got older, we both ended up going into immersion language education. And I think it bears a little bit of time to talk about what immersion language education is before we sort of get into our experiences. And so, you know, first of all, the definition we'll say of an immersion language program is that, you know, nationally there are about one to 2,000 of these language programs in the United States. They're a mix of public and private schools, and they filter into sort of two distinct types. There are the international schools, which follow an international curriculum, and then there are bilingual schools, which follow a U.S.-based curriculum. Most preschools have about an 80 to 20 percent mix. 80 percent of the teaching will be in the target language. And by the time they're in middle school, so over time, that ratio will shift so that by the time they're in middle school, they're at a 50-50 split. And what you'll start seeing in middle school is they'll pick up uh, content, I guess we'll call it content classes in those languages. So you might have, say, I don't know, Chinese math or Russian Mm -hmm. physics Mm -hmm. and, you know, Italian art class or whatever. Uh, And so that when you hit the middle school, it's really more about learning that subject versus at that point you've already sort of hit mastery of the language and so the fact that it's being taught in your second your second language really is not an impediment at all you still have language classes but that's really more about like writing essays and Mm -hmm. literature just like you would in english so with that kind of background jim can you talk a little bit about why you chose an immersion program yeah i can and i was somewhat hesitant to put my precious children into an environment where they were going to be overwhelmed and they were you know, not going to be able to communicate. But something that you said earlier about your younger child is that I learned in some other way that uh, that language is actually the fourth way that kids communicate. You know, first it's nonverbal. I don't remember what the others are. I think uh, number three is play. Kids communicate through play. And so being in that environment, it made me feel better that they weren't totally going to be overwhelmed, that there was still going to be some eye contact and some context and some body language that was going to allow them to to learn uh, to learn the second language. And this, for my experience, I think that one of the things that my wife and I have talked about is that this is a lifetime gift. And her father had studied abroad for, or their family had lived abroad for about three years uh, before he was 10 years old. And he retained a lifetime fluency, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, that's a real gift that we can give our kids for, the, for their life and to start them so early. The second is all the things we've talked about, a different way of learning abstract ideas, the idea that, that they are going to be learning, uh, as you say, science and math in a foreign language is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And I think it will, I'm expecting that there's going to be some long-term benefits. It was, a, so in some ways, it was a, it was a strange decision in that we, we made the decision in, a, in a kind of a sideways fashion. But I'm really happy that we're there. And so far, I've seen a lot of improvements. And I, I don't have a, a lot of comparison other than, let's say, my niece and nephew that are going to English-speaking schools. And I like the result. I like what we're seeing so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my experience obviously was different again. You know, I'd mentioned the fact that we come from a bilingual family. So immersion was sort of the obvious next step for us. But I think as a as a product of an immersion program, one of the things that you get in addition to the language was this sort of deep cultural education. So that while right. technically yeah. I have Yeah, right. And I technically have no ties to this second language that I speak. But it actually has become part of my identity. And I do somewhat celebrate some of these holidays 
even though, again, there's, there's sort of no background other than the fact that I sort of grew up doing that in school. Uh, and I celebrated these holidays even before I had kids. I mean, some of them are a little bit more geared towards kids, but I would celebrate them as an adult because I felt like, that. hey, that's sort of part of my heritage, even though, again, I have no technical links to this uh, culture or to this language. My parents don't speak it. So I am sort of the product of a monolingual family um, putting their child into a bilingual uh, immersion program. And so I thought that was really interesting. The other thing, you know, you've touched on this a lot and, and it was something that I hadn't really thought about, but I do, I, I do talk about this sometimes when I'm talking to other parents is the ability to learn to think differently. So mm-hmm. right. um, one thing that is very, I think, unique about some of these immersion programs and, and, you know, when we're learning to write an essay in English, we're also learning to write essays in the target language. And mm-hmm. the way that you write in that target language is actually completely different. The way that you structure an essay, it's actually the exact opposite of how you structure it in English. And so you learn to just simply move back and forth between those two different styles. And I think also what I've seen just in general now as I'm an adult is that I do think it it helps you look at problems and understand that there are are generally going to be multiple ways to come up with a solution. And and you're sort of ingrained in that process because early on you understand that here's an essay, there are multiple ways, multiple quote correct ways to structure an essay. And, and that just becomes kind of part of who you are, that there's sort of all of these different ways to arrive at an answer and they all can be very valid. And it's something that maybe not in my day-to-day life I recognize, but as I sort of sit back and reflect on the value and what I've kind of taken away from an international education, uh, that I think is certainly a benefit that that you will start to see. And that, as you point out, absolutely pays off and, and it sort of opens you up to all these different possibilities, I think, in, in terms of how you think. Well, one of the things we've kind of mentioned this in a, or got to this in a kind of a sideways fashion, but the, I don't want to call it intelligence, but let's say cognitive ability or rational ability. One of the things that I've understood about that is it's, uh, it's strengthened or encouraged by analogies, being able to make analogies and to draw connections and relationships with other things and other ideas. And that's exactly what we just described, having to write something in one language and then or in the native language and then in a second language. That's two different thinking structures. And at each of those points, there's going to be intersections that are going to end up creating cross-references and, and, um, and cross-pollinating ideas. And I think that's, it's my own theory, but I think that that's going to be a fundamental way that they're going to be going through their lives. Yeah, you know, I think the other thing, too, about it that, again, you've touched on right here is that in a full sort of bilingual situation, you're not translating between languages, right? It's just exactly. it's sort of happening... You know, when I think of a chair, if you, if you show me a chair, you know, what will happen in my head is, right, I see two words that are associated with exactly. that chair, but it doesn't go, it's not a, it's not a linear, you know, English equals chair equals this thing. It, they're just, it's almost like a triangle, right? With the, with the image of the chair at the top and then the two words that represent exactly. the chair in my instance uh, at the bottom. And so, yeah, it, it is a, it's kind of a different way of thinking and it doesn't pass through a linear fashion, which I think also makes it easier, you know, sometimes monolingual people are are 
fascinated about how quickly things happen in the foreign language. It's because you're not going through that step of translating. Mm-hmm. It literally right. is, you know, it just happens. It, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a connection that you've already made. Well, I mean, I learned the foreign language. I learned a second language in, in high school and I took some in, in college. And I had to learn that language through my native language. And there's something very clunky and mechanical about that. And to see the to see kids pick it up, pick up a second language in the same way that they learn their native language creates that sort of mental environment that you just described. Whereas I've forgotten so much of what I learned and the stuff that I that I do know is from English. I need to translate. What do I need to say? Make a clunky calculation and figure out what it is in the foreign language where people with a with a native language or a second language that they they acquired in an immersion program. It's just like that. So now that we have both been in an immersion school for a few years and and we've got a little bit more experience in there, can you talk a little bit about your experience, your family's experience and any concerns that you might have had, you know, going into it and and if they've been resolved or if there's things that you're still maybe concerned about that you kind of haven't resolved yet, just sort of talk about, you know, that whole process. When the first started in the immersion school, she was pre-K-4, so she was four years old. And what was interesting for me to see is that she'd come home just exhausted. And she had been in a daycare program that was uh, socialization and play and the learning basic early education things. But then going to the immersion school, she would come home just exhausted. And my impression was that her brain was working really hard and that she was building those connections and building those sort of neural pathways that allowed her to have uh, you know, a bilingual experience. And there was some developmental regression, both uh, cognitively and then just behaviorally, that I don't want to say it was really concerning. I mean, we talked to people and we could kind of uh, understand it, but it was an indication to me that that was a challenge, that she was going through something that was that required some kind of exertion. The younger one has gone through one year of the immersion program at age three, and then we've taken this year off due to the, the COVID situation, and she'll be starting again in kindergarten. And you and I were talking earlier, I don't know, I don't know how that experience is going to be for her. And I think the school probably has mechanisms and, and ways to get her assimilated. I also think she has a personality that is going to take it pretty quickly, but it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me nervous as a parent. I don't, I put myself in that situation and I, my personality at that age, I would have just been terrified. <laughs> so I've got some, a little bit of concerns about that. And my wife and I had talked about the, the English comprehension and that we had learned that the immersion school kids fall behind a little bit, but then they catch up a little bit later. And I think that that delay that is then recovered later is a small price to pay for, for the, the immersion program for the second second language. You know, I joke that my biggest concern is that they are both going to learn a foreign language and they're going to be, and they're going to use slang and like mm-hmm. code and, and my wife and I are going to be oblivious. They're going to have, <laughs> yeah. they're going to have a totally opaque secret, yeah. secret language that is just going to leave us in the cold. So that's yes. good. I think, honestly, I think that's my <laughs> biggest concern going forward. It's funny you bring that up because, um, I remember being on the bus a few times with some friends and we would speak, you know, we're talking trash about somebody on the bus uh, and then somebody gets, it's usually my friend that gets off and now I'm all alone. And then that person starts speaking in the language. Right. Like, oh, oh God, what have I done? So I've been careful about uh, speaking about, it, it was really mostly something you would do in like middle school or high school, but I, I've learned to be careful about who you're speaking to and what language. Cause you just, you never know it. Yeah. Like it's totally a thing for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, so look, my, my experiences um, with the school are, are different, right? So I would say that I, I do a lot of volunteer stuff with the school and I help out with admissions. And one of the things that I hear a lot from monolingual parents is that often they're a little bit concerned that they're not going to be able to help their child with homework. 
And I think the reality of the situation is, uh, you know what, when she comes to me with calculus, I'm going to look at her blankly and I'm going to tell her to go look at like Khan Academy or something like that, right. yeah. direct it to my wife, who's much better at math. You know, there, there will always be a, a bunch of stuff that we just, you know, the kids are going to know that we're not going to know. So I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a challenge. And I mean, here's an illustration, right? So in 10th grade, we pick some of our subjects and we pick the language that we take that subject in, that mm-hmm. class in. So I, I picked physics, uh, which was stupid because I had no friends in physics. I'm not great at math. Uh, and I'm not that good at science. So I'm not, it's to this day, it's, it's completely confusing to me as to why I picked physics, but I did. And unsurprisingly, by the end of the first semester, I was failing the class. And so my parents went in to the headmaster and said, do we need to pull this kid out of the school? Like, is this, is, is, is this school just like too tough for him? And the headmaster looks at them and said, the, the problem is not the language. The problem is your kid sucks at physics. I mean, say that, but that was, that was effectively the takeaway is that the problem. You're going to be terrible is, in any language. Right. It doesn't matter. And, and that's true, right? By the time you're, you know, in middle school, the language is, it's just another method to communicate the concepts, right? You either get the concepts or you don't. So regardless of what language I took physics in, I was going to struggle with it. And so I think that's an example of a time when, you know, the fact whether you can help with the homework or not, like it, it, that does not become a thing. And the language will never become the impediment to learning. It's just a, it's just a vehicle for learning. That's it. So, you know, I wouldn't be concerned about that. I think the other thing as it relates to how can I help my child with the second language that I don't speak is that in the research that I've seen, as long as you're modeling sort of the native language, right? And, and so engaging with your child and, you know, reading books and expanding their vocabulary, the studies have shown that that's beneficial for your child when they're in school learning that target language. So even if it's not in the, the, the target language, just by engaging with them in English and helping their vocabulary grow, you are actually helping their second language skills. So, you know, those are some of the things that you can do to help them with second language acquisition. You know, you you talk about the sort of the lag in English learning, and I, that wasn't something that I had ever thought about again because I'd sort of gone through and I'm like, well, I, I speak English pretty well, uh, but it's certainly something that I remember seeing in in first grade in particular when the when the girls were learning to read, and I'm looking at the types of books they're reading. They're sort of level one, and I'm looking at you know what their peers from other schools are reading at like level yeah. three, and you're just chapter, like, oh my chapter god, books. right? You're like, oh my god, what's happening? And uh, so, again, you know, I cited that information at the top of the podcast, right, that by the time they're in seventh grade, they will be five months ahead of their peers in terms of their reading skills. And then by the time they're in eighth grade, they'll be almost a full year ahead. And so you can see that, you know, as, as we talk about, right, there is a progression to that point. And, and not only will they hit par with their peers, but they will surpass them by the time they're, they're done with middle school. So that's certainly something to understand and you know, I think as as you point out, right? Some, well, at least for me, it was a shock to me initially. You were you were more prepared than I was, but it's good to know that there are studies that back up the fact that you know it's a it's a temporary issue, right? And you know that's not going to be anything that's long lasting. And my wife and I have talked about that. And my impression is nobody is a better reader because they started to read earlier. Mm-hmm. I just I don't think it's a I think it's a binary skill. I don't think it's something that's cumulative. I don't think that learning to read later is somehow a, a detriment in later years, right. an impediment in later years. Right. Well, and, and, you know, if you think about it, right, in an immersion program, it's 
if you sort of think critically about it, it, it should sort of be obvious that our kids will be a little bit delayed because while other kids have 100% of the day in English where they can spend the time focused on reading, our kids in first grade are still spending mm -hmm. 80% of the day in a different language. And so ultimately what we find too, right, is that our kids not only will should have better mastery of English reading, but oh, by the way, they speak this other language and they can read in this other language, right? So I always find comfort in the fact that your kid might be reading a lot higher than my kid in terms of their skill level. But my kid is reading in two languages, which I think is, personally, I think that's kind of cool. Just so, as an aside, I, I try to read the in the second language too, my older one. <clears throat> and I'm reading children's books like Cat in the Hat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm totally can't handle it. <laughs> it's, it's beyond my reading comprehension. Uh -huh. And she's starting to be able to get it herself. So it's, uh, it's a really precious thing to see. Well, it's cool, right? When they, when they surpass your skill level, yeah, like that's, right. and that's ultimately why they're, they're there. You're hoping that they're going to be able to surpass your high school or your college, you know, right. a couple credits in, in that language. I mean, I'm going to stop using it because I'm probably ruining her vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. It's why would she speak to me in some sort of pigeon language when she's well, got the? At a certain point, she'll start correcting you, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's beautiful too to see. You know, another thing that I saw relative to when we started in an immersion program. So our our daughter started at three, and it was funny because at, at home she would speak to me much more in. So at home, I I don't speak to her in English ever. Well, rarely, very very rarely. And when I do speak to her in English, she often says, why are you speaking to me in English? Because it is such an anomaly. Um, so, you know, when I speak to her in the second language, she, prior to going into the immersion school, she would respond to me quite frequently in that second language. As she's grown up, she almost never speaks to me in the second language. I still speak to her in that language. And uh, that always makes me a little sad. But it is interesting because I know from the teachers that she... At school, you know, it's 100% all day long. She is always in that second language. And apparently she even speaks to the kids, at least in the classroom, in that second language. The, mm -hmm. the language of the playground will always be English. It will always right. be the native language of the country you're in, regardless of where you are. That's, that's just the way it is. And that's perfectly normal. But at least that the fact that when she is in class, she is always speaking in that second language at least makes me feel a little bit better because I, I don't see any of it. And apparently the same thing goes for my son, uh, who is four. I, I would say that, you know, in terms of some maybe non-immersion school related comments that I have that are just about being bilingual in general. One thing is we have some friends that are in not fully bilingual families. And this is somewhat reflective of our situation, right? So again, I speak two languages. My wife speaks a couple languages, but we only share English in common, which is similar to some people we know where there's one person who speaks two languages and, and the other person's monolingual. And sometimes there can be conversations about, well, you know, should we allow bilingualism in the family when one family member doesn't understand? And will that mm -hmm. person feel left out? And, and the way we approached it, I, I've always felt like, the benefits of understanding that language and especially the culture, if that is, you know, one of the parents' culture and things like that, I think it far outweigh that. And, and simply the way that we've handled, if somebody starts feeling left out is I will simply ask our daughter, like, what did mommy say? And, mm -hmm. and then she'll tell me. And what was cool was when she was very young, I would actually oftentimes tell her something in my language, so language A, and then I would say, go tell mommy this. So it comes out it goes into her here in language A, but when it comes out in her mouth, it comes out in language B, right? Mm -hmm. And so to fully, again, if we talk about how, you know, she's not translating in her head, she's just simply taking the concepts and then, you know, transforming mm -hmm. it into the other language. 
has been very cool to see. And, and also how sometimes when I ask her, what did your mom say when she doesn't know the English translation and she kind of has to get by based on the vocabulary that she does know. Mm-hmm. It's always very mm-hmm. interesting to see how she kind of gets there. Um, and I, again, I, I find that that is, is, is really what I want. I mean, I remember when I was growing up and I had some friends that were maybe bilingual or trilingual and, and to hear them speaking to their parents on the phone and in a single sentence, you would have all three languages come out yeah. because that was the first word that came to mind, you know, and they know that that parent fully understands all that stuff. And so it's just sort of whatever was the first word was the one that came out, whether it was in English or a different language, I think has been, it's, it's, it's cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as it relates to, again, going back to sort of the point about how you handle a bilingual situation where one parent doesn't always understand what's going on. One thing that my wife and I do is whenever we're having big conversations, maybe social issues or discipline issues, we will always speak in English. That is actually the only time that I will speak in English. And that is really a function of making sure that everyone's on the same page. And it's really more for my wife than anything so that we're on the same page, but also so that our daughter doesn't try to game the system. You'd be like, well, mommy said this, but you said that, <laughs> right? And you're like, well, wait a minute. What actually got said? And so it is a way of of maybe CYA each other so that we right. we have a defense. A little bit of an honor. Right, when the daughter goes, well. so But I think it is important that we understand we actually just came off of some, you know, fairly lengthy conversations about, you know, some big, big issues. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it was something where we, we made sure to both speak in English so that we could be on the same page. And, and, and in particular, so that we're not contradicting each other inadvertently. And so that we're really very clear with our daughter to make sure that we're sending the same signals, especially on those really big issues like discipline and, and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And you, you're parenting at a next level. That's a, uh... That's some complex, complex <laughs> well, parenting environment. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, right? It's it's a partnership, and we want it. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of when you're when you introduce that language where somebody doesn't understand, you have to make sure. I think that you have to think a little bit more about how you parent and making sure that you're on the same page. And and I think also, you know, I don't know about your daughter, but our daughter is at that stage where she's starting to do things where that she knows she shouldn't do. Like yeah. just the other day we found like, it's that age. right. We found a bunch of chocolate in her yeah. backpack. We're like, she clearly climbed up a bunch of shelves to take that down. Right. So they're, they're, they're looking at pushing the boundaries. And so if my wife and I aren't very tight in our communication, uh, certainly things can get a little bit sketchy there. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty, that's pretty important. <laughs> so we hope that this episode gave you some insight into the benefits of bilingualism and our experience with it. If you have any questions for us, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash papayfatigue. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T. F-A-T-I-G-U-E. And we'll be sure to put all the studies and research in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Papa y Fatigue podcast. If you like the podcast, please give us a review. And don't forget to subscribe to get ideas and hear discussions around parenting as a dad. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>